God, as we come this morning, Holy Spirit, how we need you. Lord, I just pray that you would just anoint your word this morning and use me as a vessel to bring it forth and that we would glean from it today and understand, my God, what you're saying to us. And Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for those that you guided in Holy Spirit to put pen the words that you want us to hear through the Holy Scriptures. Make them real to us today, Lord, we ask in your name. Amen. Okay, so for the last couple of weeks, we looked at facing tests and trials from really a biblical perspective, understanding that there are whys behind why God allows us to go through tests and trials. There are eternal purposes and eternal reasons why he allows us to go through the fire sometimes. And we looked at those extensively in our first sermon about James, that there are very specific purposes why God will allow that. There are divine reasons for, the, for circumstances that occur on this side of eternity. And uh, all joy, because we know that God does have a reason for them. And Joni, forgive me, it's Joni, and listen, just approach me. Let's stop and pray for a second. As I was just thinking about tests and trials, a friend of hers who's going to be a nurse and buddy break here, saved, her children are saved, uh, her son-in-law perished in a car accident at 28 years old. Do we understand why that test and trial would come? No, but we want to pray for her daughter, Lindsay, who was the gentleman's wife. So, Father, we just pray that Lindsay may not understand this, why her husband would have died in a car accident at such a young age. We pray that you would be with her, comfort her and her mother, Lord God, and see them through this tragedy. We don't understand, but we know as born-again believers, as being saved, you have a purpose. There is always an eternal purpose. And as we go on here, our loving God has also told us to trust him and ask for the wisdom, and he will pour it out on us generously so that we can understand and see us through this time of testing and trial. He'll pour it out on us. And the ultimate goal of these circumstances is that we persevere through them, that we come through as gold refined by fire and mature in our faith so that we become more like Christ, which is his ultimate purpose for each and every one of us, to be like Jesus, to go through those tests, to go through those trials, to develop those fruit of the Spirit, peace, that we can have that peace no matter what comes, joy, patience, moral goodness, faithfulness, all these things he's trying to develop in us as we go through the fire but come out refined as gold. Amen? So what we want to come out of all these tests and trials is to emulate Jesus Christ more and more in our lives. And before we go on, we have to understand that these tests and trials, for no better choice of words, are the external circumstances that the Lord will allow into our lives. So when they come, they are tests, they're trials, and how we respond to them by approaching them with all joy, going through them, persevering, becoming more like Christ. But now we're going to discuss another set of circumstances that God has not led us into or allowed, and they really deal with our own internal struggles, and those circumstances are the wrestlings, the wranglings we do with temptation and sin. They come from in here, as we'll see. So with that said, please open up to the uh, book of James. We're going to look at chapter 1, verses 13 to 18. I don't know. We can't tell anymore. You don't, you're waiting for the rustling of the pages. Now people do it on their phones. So this is what it reads. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. 
But each person, listen carefully, is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Say that three times fast. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of the first fruits of all he created. This morning, church, we're going to look at the idea of temptation from a biblical perspective. Do you hear me? And may I say that it's, um, not one of us here, not one of us here that does not battle temptation. Don't be the ostrich who puts your head in the sand. We are going to battle temptation every day, multiple times in a day. So we must be prepared for what's in front of us. Amen? I believe that every one of us should listen with attentive ears because this is relevant to every person who has walked through those doors this morning. First of all, we can define temptation as this, as the enticements that prompt us to respond, listen, with a self-centered, self-directed, sinful motive, attitude, or action that is in clear violation of the will and the, or the word of God. Do you hear me? At the root, it primarily denotes a situation where we are free to choose to be faithful or unfaithful, to do God's will or our will, to follow what he says or our own bents and desires. And the struggle is seen right in the garden, is it not? The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One command, perfect environment. And there they are. And here comes the enticement. I don't know if it was an apple, but it must have been one heck of a piece of fruit. All right? And what happens? It appealed to the lust of the eyes. Oh, good for food. The lust of the flesh, right? And the pride of life. And what happens? Adam and Eve... Eve takes and eats the fruit and gives it to her husband, and they sin. Why? Because instead of doing the will of God and following the word of God, they chose their own will. They chose their own will. They chose to eat of the fruit. Do you hear me? And they sinned, and with that came the consequences. And now all of us are in Adam. We have that propensity to sin. We have a sin nature, if you will, and we will sin. Listen to Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And Romans 3.10-12 reads this. There is no one righteous. No, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And we know Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In our nature, we will choose what is normal to our nature, and we will choose sin. We will try to satisfy the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. In our sin nature. Family, listen. Though we are born again, new creations, we are still clothed in the residual effects of our sin nature. And we will be bombarded with temptations that come our way. But it all comes down to that choice. If we are going to do what is contrary to God's will or God's word, or if we're going to do what God's will and God's word says. And it affects every one of us. Just sit next to me on the Bell Parkway when I'm in traffic and watch the transformation from your pastor to the Incredible Hulk. 
Oh, my goodness, I hate to. And every time we go away, it could be 2 in the morning. Guess what? There's construction. <laughs> I went out with the Sugdens yesterday. Sudden State, whoa, the LIE. Middle of the day, out in 62. Traffic. I couldn't believe it. Thank God. Praise the Lord. Sometimes we overcome, and sometimes we don't. Or keep smiling, you two. Or the people who, you get in the shower. I'm the guy up early, and the bar of soap is this big. What are you going to do? Thank God. for So you can come out and say, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to shut the hot water off when you get in. Or I could just say, honey, please, next time, put the new bar of soap in. So it's how we respond. What we choose to do or say when the situations arise. Amen? It all comes down to choice. Our response. Oh, God, I just... Eyes closed. Heads bowed. So the first thing, when James opens up, he says, when tempted. Notice he didn't say, if tempted. When tempted, we're going to be tempted. We live in a sin-cursed world, and the enticements are out there. And guess what? The enticement is in here. Amen? Oh, me, I should say. Christian, the problem is us. We can't get away from ourselves. You remember Tony Rui? He had the best line in the world. No matter where I go, there I am. It's so true. You cannot get away from yourself. So you can run from all the stuff that's out there. You can put yourself in a cave, but you can't get away from the thoughts and stuff that are going on inside of you. So Christian, the, the starting point of temptation is knowing that it's always going to be there. It's always going to be there. And why? Because your main enemy is right in here. Don't blame this. Don't blame that. As we'll get into it, the main enemy is in here. So let me give you some uh, points on how to battle this enemy. First of all, Know your weaknesses so they can be defeated. Again, I'll say, what might entice my wife does not entice me, and what might entice me does not entice Rich, or so on and so off. We all have certain bents for sin. We need to know what they are. We need to be real before God, transparent before God, because he knows them anyway. And get before him and say, you know, I wrestle with this, Lord. So I'm coming to you, and I want to overcome. As we... So I want to be free from those chains. I want to break those strongholds so that I more and more walk in you and don't sin against you. Amen? So we have to be real with ourselves and we have to uh, lean on the convictions Not when the Holy Spirit points something out and says this is an area then we need to heed. Or when a brother or sister in Christ comes to us and shows us an attitude or something that we have that we need to listen and then respond to it that, yeah, that could be an area. Instead of getting our back up or our pride up and saying, oh, that's not me, be real with yourself. Get in your prayer closet and honestly look and say, these are the bents of sin I deal with. And then we have to be ready. You have to be willing to relinquish them. Sometimes we like that sin a little too much and we don't want to get rid of it, so we kind of, oh, well, I stumble once in a while. Get before the Lord. Listen to what Colossians 3, 5 says. A says, it says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And Romans 6, 3 says this, or don't you know, all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. What that is saying is that when we put our faith in Christ, that old man, that old Rob, was literally nailed to the cross with Christ, died with Christ, was buried, came up in his resurrection as a new creation in Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit within me, able to overcome 
those temptations and bents of sin. And so it is with every born-again believer. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit with the power to do that. Amen? And that's why it starts here, though. And that's why Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the second thing we have to do is get into the Word of God. And we say, okay, I wrestled with this, but this is the biblical principle. Let me read about it. Let me meditate upon it. Let it become part of me, Lord. So when these situations come up, the Holy Spirit will bring it to my mind, and I'll walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Ephesians 4, it's the put off and put on mentality. I'll put off stealing, now I'll work with my hands and give. I'll put on lying, and I'll tell the truth. We find out what the biblical principle is, and we begin to apply it to our lives. But we have to be made new in the renewing of our mind as we bring God's word in and meditate on it and it becomes part of us so that we have that arsenal to draw from or the Holy Spirit has that arsenal to draw from so that we can overcome in those times of temptations. And the next, next thing we need to do is start each day with prayer. Be girded up in prayer. As any good warrior will go out to battle, he will start his day by prepping himself, by putting on his full armor and then going into the battle. We have to be people of prayer. Commune with God. Let the Holy Spirit begin and say, Spirit of God, as I go out today, you know what the situation I'm going into? Please give me the grace and the strength to be that witness for Christ, to overcome those areas of my sinful nature, if you will, and be girded up with you. Start your day in prayer. All right? The Spirit of God will give us more and more victory as we acknowledge His power in our life and stick to the Word of God. And with that said, when we fall short, when we fall short, whether it be an attitude, thought, or word, keep a short account of sin. Stand on 1 John 1.9 and move forward. It says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Look, we're going to stumble. We're going to sin. We're going to fall short. But we keep a short account so that that guilt doesn't start to make its way in. And all of a sudden, because we're feeling kind of guilty, we don't want to fellowship with the Lord. And it kind of, when we go with unconfessed sin, it breaks that fellowship with God. And all of a sudden, the evil one gets a little foothold, and we start going more and more away. Confess your sin. Keep a short account. He forgives us. And we move on saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to fight the good fight. Today, I got cut up in the battle a little bit, but I'm going to go on with you. Amen? And lastly, I have down here, fellowship with other believers. Hebrews tells us, don't forsake the gathering of believers. There's a reason. We gird each, up, each other up as iron sharpens iron, yes? And it's good to have accountability partners. Have someone that you can go to. I have a couple of guys that I can go to and bear my soul, and they're not going to judge me. No, they're going to pray for me and gird me under. So in fellowship, we find those areas where we can find people that we can pray with and be real with and they help gird us under. They walk along with us, girding us up. Moses had Aaron and her. They stood by him and lifted his arms up. And we need fellowship. And the more we fellowship with each other, the less we're fellowshipping with what's going to taint us. Yes? So fellowship is important. Listen to Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. It says, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. The mud. Alas, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can uh, one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three stands is not quickly broken. So as we rely on each other 
and we're in fellowship with each other. That third strand is the Holy Spirit. It's God who's in the midst of us. And we gird each other up to make it through the struggles. Amen? So with that said, let's go on. So we have some things. We want to pray, be in fellowship, acknowledge those areas we're dealing with, right, and get into the Word of God to deal with them. And James goes on now, and he says this. When tempted, very important, no one should say, God is tempting me. Do you hear me? No one should say that. First things first, because of our self-centered sin nature, the first thing we want to do is blame somebody else. Right? Blame somebody else. The devil made me do it. And what did Adam say? That woman, that woman that you gave me, she made me do it. All of a sudden, the blame game starts. And guess what? It didn't work in the garden, and it doesn't work now. God doesn't accept it. We are all responsible for the choices that we make. We can't blame anybody else. Do you hear me? And listen to Genesis. I, I went through it. The woman put, you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God had said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the man said, and the woman you gave me, she, made, she gave me the bite of the apple or the bite of the fruit. The blame game doesn't work. Do you hear me, church? Let's get that nailed down right now. And family, listen, we are each personally responsible for the choices we make when situations arise. And how this lie is proliferated in our society today, the blame game, right? It was our parents... It was others who influenced me. It was the environment or some other external factor that caused a person to have a sinful attitude, behavior, or lifestyle. Look at our society today. Everything's a blame. Everything's a plea bargain. Instead of people taking personal responsibility for their actions and for their sins. And family, these excuses are futile attempts to, listen to me, escape personal responsibility and to acknowledge and confess personal accountability for our sins. Listen, listen, and this is going to challenge some of us today, but no one, listen to me, no one can cause you to sin. Did you hear me? No one can cause you to sin. No matter what's done to us, what may be done to us, said to us, or is put before us, there is never an excuse for us to yield to a sinful attitude, action, or behavioral pattern. There's no excuse. It's our choice. And why? As we sang this morning, the grace of God is always available. How does our brothers and sisters, that gentleman we saw in the, the video that time, watch his wife and his children killed in front of him and not react with hatred? Grace of God. The only way we can do it is through the grace of God. Amen? And it's available, so there's no excuse. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Listen, others can provide the situation to tempt us, but it's our choice how we respond. And the grace of God is always available. Amen? Always available. So we don't have to respond with a harsh word or with an attitude or with an action or a blame game. We lean on the grace of God. Amen. If we allow people to enact this blame game for their sinful actions, right? Away from themselves to something else or someone else, the root problem then becomes a severing. Listen, a severing of the only hope of deliverance. 
if we label such things as lifestyles or if we label addictions as a disease rather than choices towards accessly bound in their sin and unforgiven. Do you hear me? That's why I have down here, if you look at Teen Challenge, they call it the Jesus factor, that in Christ we can be delivered from those things that hold us in bondage. The world system has a 3 to 6% success rate. Teen Challenge, 86% success rate. The Jesus factor, amen? We have to deal with sin, not just the symptoms. Do you hear me? We've got to deal with the sin. Family, Jesus died for sins, not for labels of what human patterns of behavior can be. He died for sin. And when we get to the root reason, then we can deal with the symptoms. We can put the symptoms away through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love it. Just uh, I don't know why I threw this in there. When, uh, the, the Clinton era. I love it. Oh, he has a sexual addiction. Really? No, he's just like 90% of the other men that will say the same thing and 10% who are liars. No, he doesn't have addiction. He made a choice. He led a choice to go into infidelity instead of making a choice to be faithful to his wife. There's no addiction there. There's hogwash. But our society, everybody's got an addiction to this, an addiction to that, an M&M addiction. I don't know. But we have to deal with it as sin. Family, if a person will not, does not take full responsibility for their sin as their sin, and it being nobody else's fault or the environment's fault, they remain exempt from the forgiveness and the work that was done by Jesus Christ. Amen? And they're lost in it. And it will bind them till the day they close their eyes. And now James is adamant with this statement. And we have to get that God does not tempt us. That's foolishness. God does not leave us into temptation. And why? Because the scriptures declare that he is perfectly holy. And he causes people to be holy as he is holy. I can give you a ton of scripture verses here from Leviticus, Deuteronomy, but 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says it the best. Be holy because I am holy. Go through the scriptures. God is perfectly holy. It's not his nature to sin. And it's not his nature to drag someone into or entice them into sin. It goes a completely against his nature and his word. So let's get it in our head that God does not tempt anyone to sin. Amen? But let me give you three reasons why we do fall into temptation and sin. First is we have the residual effects of a sin nature. It's part of what we are. So, yes, we are born again, spirit-filled, and have the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome, but we're still clothed in this that likes to be satisfied. Second, and listen carefully, we like sin. It's pleasurable. If it wasn't pleasurable, why would you do it? So we like it, and sometimes we don't want to put it away because it is pleasurable. But the problem is, we don't see the consequences. If we saw the consequences, we'd be far more likely to walk into that sinful behavior or attitude or action. Remember Achan? in the scriptures, he just took a couple of articles of clothes and a few little pieces of silver. And you know what happened? He was killed. His family was killed. They were burned, and then they heaped stuff on top of him. Now, if he could step back and see that that was going to happen, do you think he would have took a few articles of clothing? I doubt it. I doubt it. If you could see the consequences, many times we would put the brakes on. But listen, there are consequences. And the third reason is that we don't hate sin to the extent that God hates it. Let me ask you, Christians, how much did God hate sin? Enough that he allowed his son to go the cross of Calvary, that Jesus, the son of God, would come 
and take the full wrath of God for every sin ever committed or will be committed on himself. That is how much God hates sin. So if, as a Christian, we can really grasp hold of what Christ did and understand what he went through as God. We would hate sin like he does because it put him there. So we sin because it's part of our nature. It's pleasurable. And we don't really understand the depth of what it cost. God did, we would hate sin as he does. Yes? And now Je- James will go on and actually describe the pattern or process that temptation takes and the consequences thereof when we choose to go down its slippery slope. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers. And family, the real source of temptation, again, lies within us. When we're dragged away and enticed by what's already in here, out of the heart, come, read it. And listen, it says when we're enticed by our own desires. Now listen, there are good desires and there are bad desires. God's placed desire within us, but there are good ones. For instance, I have a couple of uh, examples down here. There's righteous anger that we can get angry over certain things like some of the laws that are being passed. But then there's wrathful anger, sitting in traffic on the Bell Parkway. All right? There's wrathful anger. Come on, you don't wrestle with that too when you're in traffic? <laughs> I'm teasing. All right, praise the Lord. Or also, look, the Lord has allowed for intimacy within the marriage. It's a beautiful thing. But man has taken that desire and has taken it outside the marriage and into other lifestyles, and then it becomes sin. And I can give you 100,000 scenarios. Man takes what God has given us as good and twists it to his own desires and many consequences because we've made the choices. So let's look at these four stages that James will elaborate on and how we actually start down that road and succumb to temptation. First of all, as I said, we all have bents of sin. We need to acknowledge what they are. We have to understand what they are, identify them. And then, because they will, listen, the things that drive us, they will rear their ugly heads. And I've said in other sermons, in times when we're tired, hungry, or upset on the job, upset at home, all of a sudden these things will start to rear their ugly heads. Every human being is compelled to sin. Definitely the unsaved, because they're not filled with the Holy Spirit, but also we as being born again believers, because we have the residual effects of the flesh. Second, to be aware, listen to me, of the deceptive lure of sin. The words entice us and drag away. Uh, James is going to use two metaphors here to help us understand this, if you will. But when we start to, listen to me, understand, temptation is dangerous. It's dangerous because it's going to try to lure us away from the principles of God into our own will and desires with consequences thereof. So let's look at these two words. The term dragged away actually makes reference to a hunter who goes out and he puts the trap down and he puts stuff around the trap. Right, Sal? And he might uh, take a little scent of Fifi and put it around the trap so that big buck, he smells that scent, and he gets over there, and he sees that food, and he's like, wow, look at all this grub that I got with his 30-odd sixth. Smokes him, all right? And now we have venison for a year. But that's what happens. Or the second one, uh, enticed, refers to a fisherman. And what he's doing, he puts that hook, he puts a nice big juicy worm on it and loads it into the water and there comes Mr. Fish like, wow, there's the worm. Realizing there's my next meal, and you got it wrong. You're going to be the fisherman's next meal. All right? But dragged away, the hunter enticed the fisherman. Both put the bait out there 
for the unsuspecting victim, if you will. And the bait looks so attractive. It looks good. It smells good. It appeals to our desires. And the desire is so great that all of a sudden, what? They're in the trap or they're on the hook. And we have to be careful. And family, it's the same with us. In fact, we give in to evil desires because of the residual effects of our nature. And that, listen to me, and it's the nature that's the agency of our failure. Because when James says we're dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires, we're going to see bait every day. The bait's going to be out there, but don't take the bite. Don't step into the trap. You have to understand that it's exactly that. It's bait. Knowing your bent's for sin. And when those things come upon us, we say, <laughs> there's the bait to sin. I'm not biting on it. I'm not giving in. I'm going to make the choice to serve God and do it God's way. And then James goes into the third stage here, that once we start to entertain those things in our mind, right? Desire is conceived, it's going to give birth to sin. Family, once we take the bait, we fall into sin. It's that simple. Once we bite, we sin against God. And listen, this process, is uh, our evil desire is enticed, usually through our senses or through someone else or some situation. And if we see that that bait's out there and we go to bite it, we will fall into sin. And we will respond with a word, an attitude, or action that is a sin against God and a sin against someone else. And I have some things down here. What we try to do is we either try to rationalize or justify our sinful behaviors. If you allow this temptation to mull around in your mind, sooner or later you're going to make it right. Do you hear me? You're going to make it right. You're going to rationalize it. You're going to justify it. And you're going to act on it. How about these? Oh, you don't know what he said or she said to me, so I'm going to... Come on, teenagers, especially females. I have one in my house 20 years old. Oh, you don't know what she said to me. I'm going to respond on Facebook or on TV. And they go on the social media and say things they probably shouldn't. Or how about this one? My relationship at home is so terrible, and that person at work at church is so kind to me, so I fill in the blank. I needed the money, so I fill in the blank. These government officials are so corrupt, I wish they would fill in the blank. So we can be tempted. We can stir up those things within us and how we respond. We can respond biblically or we can respond in the flesh. We can respond by God's word or we can respond again in the flesh. But guess what? It goes back to it's a choice. It's a choice. And family, I can give you 100,000 scenarios on this, right, that could stoke our desires, but we should never rationalize or justify a reason to fall into that temptation and sin against the Holy God. And listen, listen to, um, it's always a choice. And first and foremost, please understand, it's a sin against God first. And then it's a sin against somebody else. But ultimately, when we break the word of God, it's a sin against him first. Let's uh, steal from Wednesday night, if you will. Joseph, we've been studying uh, Genesis on Wednesday night, the life of Joseph. Now, come on. Here's a guy. He could have easily, whoop, being raptured, easily said, look, my brothers sold me into slavery. They threw me in a pit. This guy, Potiphar, picks me up, makes me a slave. I'm in his household. Man, he's prospering, right, and everything, but I'm still a slave. The guy acknowledges me, but... And all of a sudden, Mrs. Potiphar comes along. Now, here's a guy, he's probably like 17, 18, full of testosterone, and the boss's wife wants to sleep with him. But what does he say? Listen to this. 
No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? He remained faithful to God and his word. No matter what his circumstances were, he stayed faithful to God. He could have easily justified it, easily rationalized away and done what was natural to his flesh. But he knew that if he did that, he would sin against God and then sin against Potiphar and sin against his wife. And I believe Potiphar knew that. Because if you study the scriptures, he said he, he threw him in the uh, prison of the captain of the guard. You know who the captain of the guard was? Potiphar. So he probably he could have taken him as a slave and killed him. But he throws him in there. And what does he do in the, in the prison? He raises him up. I think Potiphar knew in his head that Joseph didn't do this but that his wife was making up the story. But he had to respond because he had to live with Mrs. Potter for the rest of his life. All right? And listen to what David writes in Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4. He says, I know my transgressions and my sin are always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David knew exactly what was going on. He sinned against God first. And after his debacle with this, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. He knew he sinned against God first. And he understood no matter what happened with Bathsheba and Uriah, he knew that he sinned against God first. But here's the deal. When he was walking on that rooftop and he looked out and he saw Bathsheba bathing, he should have said, whoa. First of all, he should have been out the wall with his, with his troops. But he should have walked away. You know what happens? He started to entertain that in his mind. All of a sudden, he calls her up, commits adultery. Then he has to figure out how to get rid of her husband, commits murder. And guess what? Consequences. And if you could take David now and say, these are what the consequences are going to be, would you go and do that? Your one son murdered the other son. Your other son is killed by the leader of your troops. Your daughter was raped. All these things that happened in this household because of his choice of sin. Do you think he would have went about it? Absolutely not. So when those things are stoked, why don't you take a second and say, if I do say this, what are the consequences going to be? And you start playing out those scenarios, and I guarantee you're going to step back and not do that. Amen? And listen, you gotta, we got to nip the temptation in the bud. When it rears its ugly head, turn away from it. Bring up those things by saying, Holy Spirit, I need your grace at this time. And let those scripture verses that he's going to bring forth guide you then. And lean on those scripture verses, the word of God, and not on your own desires. And then um, James actually gets into the fourth cycle here. That after sin is conceived, it gives birth to death. For the unbeliever who proceeds in this lifestyle without Christ, we've seen where it can lead to physical death. We see the opioid addiction. It's up 7%. Suicide is up. Drunk driving accidents are up. When the unbeliever gives into these things, it can lead to death, right? Not only physical death, but they will be separated from the Lord for eternity. And even for us as believers, we can still experience the temporal consequences, even though our faith is in Christ and we're secure in Christ. You do things like opioids, you can die from an overdose. You go drive while drinking, you can get arrested or you can get in an accident. There are consequences on this side of eternity. Amen? And listen, I have down here, there are things that we can say, look, 
death of such things as a marriage or a relationship. If we make certain choices, it can destroy a marriage. It can destroy a family relationship, can it not? Right? Or there can be death to employment, where because if we act out in sinful ways, behaviors, attitudes, whatever, we can lose a job. Yes? No, oh, thank you. We can have death to a local assembly. You can see a church split or the improprieties of the pastors or the elders can cause people to leave a church. We see it happen. Or there can be death of a reputation. We act in a certain way and there goes our reputation right down the tubes. Joan, you're a teacher. Someone makes an accusation against you and what can happen? It can destroy your reputation even if it's not true. That's just the way it is. So we have to be careful. Not that we will experience separation from God for eternity as Christians, but there are going to be temporal consequences here on earth. So, he says, when you act in sin, it gives itself in death. And for the believer, though, we're born again, again. We have choices. Both have choices. The unbeliever and the believer, to choose sin or not to choose sin. Bottom line, there are consequences to our sinful choices unless these choices are not nipped in the bud and we continue to entertain them. For what does the word says? What a man, what? Sows he will reap. Did I get that right? What he reaps, he sows, sows he reaps. I always get that confused. But you know what I'm saying. What goes around comes around. Let me put it, let me put it in worldly language. What goes around comes around. All right? But listen to what uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote. Sow a desire, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. But where does it all start? With desire. Desire, if we move it forward, we rationalize it, justify it, gives in to sin, and that's going to create a lifestyle and a habit. Break the chain early. Amen? And so James goes on now in verse 16. It says, don't be deceived. And this means deceived.